ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. Um, this is our first one of 2021, and I wanted to kick it off with basketball because that's always my first love. And so I want to bring in a first-time guest for my first show of the year. And I went and got my man Jason Maples, um, assistant coach at Contra Costa College uh, men's basketball team out in Cali. And this dude, he and I have interacted <laughs> so much on Twitter. And I just felt like we had to have a conversation at some point. So I reached out to him and I said, would you like to be a guest on the show? And dude, I'm so glad you said yes. So happy new year to you and welcome to Hard in the Paint. Thank you, man. Same with you. Like I said, since, since I, you know, come over and started supporting the Pelicans, I've been listening. I'm, I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm happy to be on. Appreciate you having me, man. Let's, let's do it. Uh, first, how, uh, how have, has your season um, and the way you do business um, been affected because California certainly has had so many restrictions um, and dealing with uh, uh, COVID-19. How has it impacted you just professionally this year, this past year? Uh, well, season ended early, right before conference playoffs uh, last March, obviously because of the restrictions. So that, that was how that went this year. Uh, we put a tentative schedule on board and then, but the COVID numbers got out of control. So we went to the purple tier which means our whole season got canceled. So they scrapped that. And we actually put together a night, a 17 game schedule. That's going to start in uh, March, pending these, the uh, effectiveness of the, of the vaccine and hopefully the um, stay in quarantine in place rules. And hopefully the numbers get down and we can play, but um, we'll see how that goes. The good news is that the California and the NCAA agreed to not charge kids with a year. If they played it all this season, so I think that was the right thing to do because you just don't know. It's unprecedented circumstances. So kids who play this year, they do not lose a year in California, which I think is the right move to just protect their future in, in case something – this is completely out of everybody's control, right? So to protect them, if something happens, they have to get shut down again, they get to keep their year. I think that's the right decision. But we do have a, a shorter season scheduled from uh, starting in March all the way through May, uh, 17 games in the conference playoffs just to get these kids an opportunity to be seen by four-year schools. And I'm excited for that. Hopefully everybody stays safe and we can get it done. Does that give you a greater opportunity, though, to, um, you know, to really get to work with uh, these players individually? Uh, because that's one thing. And, I, and I, I love talking to coaches about this is about skill development, because when we get it's when we talk about with the NBA level, skill development is much more of an individual thing. What you do in right. the offseason, it's not on your coaching staff because they don't have a lot of practice time once <laughs> right. the seasons begin. But we know at the high school and the collegiate level, and I've talked to a number of coaches about this, particularly um, as the as you see more and more people who are not qualified as coaches becoming coaches, <laughs> that internationally there are standards for what it takes to be a coach. You have to be certified. There are things you right. have to keep going to like any other teacher. And we don't necessarily have that. So for the people who love to get their hands dirty, so to speak, and do the basics, do the fundamentals and teach the game, to get this extra time, even though it's under these circumstances, is that something that you relish to have that with your players? 
Yeah, I loved it, Black. Before we went into the super, that purple tier, which is means you have to stay at home. I was right. loving. We were out there three, four nights a week, just doing two hours of individual work with guys. And you just, I was seeing the strides and guys I was working with because JUCO is different. You have to understand when you leave junior college, you are going to somebody's four year as a junior or a sophomore. They don't have time for you to sit a year to figure it out. You have to come in as an impact guy. So that's why when we focus on skill work at a, a JUCO level, it's about getting you ready for the next level, whether that be Division One, Division Two, NAIA. You have to be ready to be an impact guy wherever you go, which means you can't afford to not have a left hand, can't afford to not be able to shoot, can't afford to have bad footwork. So that's all the things we focus on in the two years right there. So um, you are 100% correct. It's all about development, development, development right now, and that's what we do. Now that we're shut down, we have a lot of Zoom meetings with the guys, telling them, like, we I put together packets telling guys, Hey, did you go in your backyard, do this dribble combo, go to the park by yourself, keep keep everybody away from you. You can focus on this. Did you, you know, shoot 100 uh, free throws today, right? Did you do 100 push-ups, get your body right? So just things like that that you can do on your own without violating the, you know, six feet in a, away uh, quarantine rules. So stuff like that. But, yeah, this, now's not a time to be lazy. We definitely had to get creative under these circumstances. But, you know, if you love the game, you love the game. You work your way around. You're going to find a way to get it done. So that's where we were as a staff with it right now. And the great thing about basketball, too, is it's it's literally of the major sports, it's the perfect quarantine sport because exactly. you don't need somebody else. You just need a ball and a hoop, and you can go out there and do what you got to do. Exactly, exactly. So that, that's you said it right there. Just take a ball. Like I said, we put together these packets, these home stay-at-home workout um, workout routines, and just told guys to hit it. Because we, when, when we do get going, we do want everybody to have a certain baseline and just kind of hit the ground running and just so we can maximize the small season that we do have to get guys ready to go. Now, you are a vocal presence on Pelican Twitter. <laughs> All right. <laughs> to say the least. You know, <laughs> a vocal presence on Pelican's Twitter. Um, team has gotten off to a 4-2 start. They play the Pacers tonight. Um, to me, this is really and, and as good as the Pelicans have been defensively, they're top five in the league defensively in most categories. This is really their first test with a great offense because yep. the team that they played have been bottom ten offensively. Um, so I, I'm I've been very slow to judge this team because I have you know. And Pelicans fans by nature are extremely volatile, as you have seen. They live and die with possessions, quarters. It's hard to get evaluation. But six games in, I'm happy with the progress. But there are still things that I'd like to see happen. What are your first impressions after this six-game start? Uh, kind of with you. Uh, the schedule hasn't been um, kind of – strict uh, strong enough for me to give any full judgment but I will say this I was wrong about Steven Adams I will eat that L I did not think he was going to fit great with with Zion but he's been a great anchor kind of that uh that bodyguard people were talking about I think defensively it's working uh Bledsoe uh I expected a roller coaster which it's been has been up and down um when he shoots the ball well the team is much better because you can pay for the attention that Zion and, and, and Brandon Ingram get so that actually helped the games he shot well. They've been, you know, uh, comfortable wins. Uh, I love I loved the Stan Van Gundy hire from jump because I knew from jump he was going to make guys defend. And that is what I love I'm seeing. Um, I've always said I thought Brandon Ingram was going to be it was an excellent two-way player potential. It seems like Stan has him focused on the defensive end. He's much more, much more active on that end, playing passing lanes, uh, active on the glass, keeping guys in front of him, not taking plays off. 
I think that's the last step of superstardom for him, which I think he will achieve. So I'm happy with the um, with the progress with the team. I, I love it, man. The Stan is an excellent culture builder, and I think that's what they needed. And I think Griffin hit that part of the team building out of the park. He found the right coach for the team, and I'm excited for what they're going to do in, like going forward. I don't love the roster composition. I've, I've been very vocal about that. I think in this NBA, you have to have space for your best players. That's where the struggle – that's why they're bottom – six in offense, I think, something like that. Bottom five, yeah. Bottom five in the 25th, right? 25th, yeah, it's just the offense. It's just not a lot of space for – and I can't be mad at Zion. Every time he gets the ball, he's getting the Giannis, Shaquille O'Neal defense, and when he's been kicking it out, they just haven't been able to make guys pay consistently because the shooting isn't there. So it's, it is what it is, but defensively, I'm very happy with what Adams and Bledsoe have brought to the team. I think they have really helped there. Yeah, the roster construction is probably my biggest problem that I've had with David Griffin for two seasons. I did not like the way the roster was built last season. Um, I felt that going into uh, last season, they were thin in the front court. Same. Behind their starters, as they are this year. (laughs) They were thin on wing defenders, as they are this year. And they did not have experience in the backcourt at point guard behind their starters. As they don't this year. <laughs> Lonzo, Nah, and Kira, right? Yeah, so yeah. Right, so it's it's uh, so you look at this team. This is a team that is essentially operating with eight players. Yeah, and and it's only operating at eight because you have to play somebody up front. <laughs> if they didn't have to play Nico Melli or they didn't have to play Jackson A's right now, they wouldn't because wouldn't. neither one of them is 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 offering you plus activity. And it's not yeah. about the stats. I'm just saying plus contributions. Yeah. They're not adding anything, bringing anything to the table in any in a significant manner. And yeah, I, think I agree with the, the, Nico is I thought if he could just be average defensively, just he can help because he can space the floor. But he's just he's just so bad on that end. You can't really justify playing him more than spot minutes. And he's not and even he won't shoot. Shot, not even making he shots right shoot. now. Yeah, his, his confidence is done with the shot. And I think once a shooter loses confidence, in the NBA, it's, it's rough. So he's got to figure out and get out of his own head. He did it last year. I believe he started super slow last year, ended up super hot at some point. So hopefully he can figure it out because the way he can space the floor can help the team, even if it's just for, for spot minutes, giving Adams a blow. Because I am worried about Steven Adams, the load he has to handle going forward. Um, there have been times where he's worn down over seasons because he has to play X amount of minutes. or take it Because he he's a brutal physical guy. He takes a pounding. He plays he hard plays. minutes. Exactly. He plays hard. He's setting screens. He's just a very physical player. You kind of worry about the flow he has to take and just Jackson Hayes. Last game was a step forward overall. I'll give him that. He had bad. His bad last game was kind of a step forward. But I've said it a few games. He is a G League player right now. He needs G League reps where he can go out and play 30 minutes and make all the mistakes he can make and learn from them because obviously he's not learning from watching. He's came, came back the same guy and they needed him to take a step forward to have the front court be a little more uh, effective when Adams isn't playing. So I'm, I'm worried about the front court. Wing depth, um, that's also an issue. Hopefully when uh, Winyan Gabriel gets back, he can give at least kind of five to ten minutes of something. At the, he's a great defender. I don't know about his shooting and offensive, but he is a great defender. So hopefully he can give something when he gets back healthy. But, yeah, you're right. Say we have the same issues, literally. It's and- a very top-heavy team. It's a top-heavy team. And the problem is this year is you have no financial wiggle room. So it's not like you can make a move um, unless you give up. You're going to have to give up something. And also the way the guys are playing, let's say if if, if J.J. Reddick doesn't find his stroke, 
You can't just give J.J. Redick away and expect to get something. You're going to have to add something to that to make it more attractive. The same as if you go to find front court help. Who are you giving away on this roster? Because no one wants what you have on the bench other than Josh Hart, whom you are trying to sign to an extension. Right. You need Josh. You need Josh. So there's not a lot for the Pelicans to do to improve. So my thing is what you see on the floor right now is pretty much what you can expect to see for the foreseeable future. Don't expect any major moves from this franchise because people keep saying, well, I think Lowe will get, Zoe will get traded before the deadline. I don't see that happening before the deadline because, first of all, I think what Clutch wants to do and what Clutch has always intended to do is Clutch is no different than any, than any other major agent. I want to see the offers on the table. Yep. <laughs> so they're not going to let you trade Zoe to some franchise in the middle of the season and have you throw him over there and, and have him have to adjust again when they're trying to assess his value. They're going to do everything they can to play this whole season out in New Orleans and then let the offers come in from various places. And on top of that, why would you trade just your, your him and Bledsoe, like the two best perimeter defenders? Why would you do that? And on top of that, Zoe's not even shooting well yet, and he's still been a plus guy, one of the, I think, third or fourth in the in, in, in net rating. He's not even shooting the ball well yet. So when that evens out with positive regression, you're going to have an extremely improved player. You just don't get to give that away midseason, especially with how well he fits with – you have two ball, you know, high usage guys in Zion and Ingram, right? Zoe was effective without the ball. Why would you trade that? Like you can't – you can't – like I'm with you. You got to keep the roster how it is, and it's a young team, so you hope for some internal growth as the season goes along and you can go improve from internal improvement as a young team. That's what you hope for. And Stan does a great job as far as coaching does, so there's hope for that to happen. But, no, you don't trade, Zoe. No, 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 you don't, you don't trade, Zoe. Not, not, not this year. Because you have to re- – then you have to reset what you're doing again with the new guy, and it affects what you're doing this season. And he fits so well with Zion anyway. So, no, you don't trade, Zoe. The, the other thing that Zoe does that no one else in this roster knows how to do is throw a damn decent post-entry pass. So, and <laughs> – no one on his team can throw a post-entry pass, but Zoe can throw one. And that's the thing, too, is if you're going to have Zion Williamson, who at times is going to either be – if you're going to set him up to a face-up, that's one thing. But when he is operating and he has to learn how to operate with his back to the basket because those double teams, as you know, like you said, they're going to come from either the perimeter or from that opposite side where he can't see. If you cannot get a good entry pass to start that process – It's rough it slows everything down because it allows that double team to come quicker and it makes it more difficult for that pass to come out. People don't understand the simple timing, that fraction of a second on throwing it hard to that outside hand that's closer to the baseline or throwing that snap bounce pass that gets him able to turn and face the basket in rhythm rather than having to stop, catch, and gather. Those things make a huge difference in offensive effectiveness. These are all world athletes. Every fraction, every inch matters. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's the best athlete in the world playing a sport. Every inch, every fraction of a second, every like if he has to bobble it, it's over. The trap is there. You got it's got to be on on point. Hundred percent agree. Brandon Ingram to me is the franchise player. It's not a question right now. Brandon Ingram is the franchise player for the New Orleans Pelicans. He his ability, like I said, as a and, I, and even he like hates the term two-way player, but his ability on both ends of the floor, his ability to create his own shot, his ability to shoot the basketball from all three levels. He can finish, he shoots the mid-range, he can shoot the three at a high level. Um, his creativity with the basketball, all of those things at his age, 
this is the Brandon Ingram that we were promised as basketball fans coming out of Duke. I, I don't think people understood um, just how difficult it was for Brandon Ingram the first two or three years of his career, Man, physically look. and mentally, and to get to the place that where he is now is what was always supposed to be for him. Uh, well, I'll say this. Um, I said what you said when the trade happened, and that is the source of all the flack I got from Pelicans fans when I said he's going to be your franchise player. I said when they Zion when they when they drafted Zion, I said I love Zion. Ing was going to be your guy. Look at look around the NBA. It's about wings right now. It's about wings and guys who can score at all three levels when it matters. I said I love Zion. Ing was going to be your guy. I got a whole bunch of flack between drafting a Zion and then the Drew Holiday love, of course, which is earned. Drew Holiday is a franchise table. I had no problem with that. Drew Holiday has been probably one of the greatest Pelicans ever, if not the greatest with all the work he's put in there. But I just understand where the league is going and look around. Your Tatums, your Bookers, those young guys who can on the wing playing both ways. Ingram's in that conversation. He's going to be the guy. Now in LA, I'll say this. They had to teach him how to catch the ball with his feet. He was so behind in basic things mm-hmm. when he got to LA. That's where the development was kind of hit, kind of stagnated. But when I saw him go from eight points a game, a guy who was unplayable to 16 in year two, I was like, now this kid's got something. You can make that improvement as the youngest rookie in the game. You can double your scoring output in one year. You put work in. And then the kicker, when I decided he was going to be the franchise guy, when those trade rumors hit and every other young Laker tanked, he played the best basketball of his life and said, screw this. I'm, I'm about to ball. Y'all want to trade me? I'm going to ball. Once he did that, I was like, that's the mental aspect of it. He's a star in the making. And when the trade happened, I was like, I was sad to see him leave the team I root for first. But I said, he is going to have a chance to have his own team if he wants. And here we are. And I think the Pelicans are going to be extremely happy these next five years with who they gave the keys of the franchise to. And my thing with Ingram too is people underestimate again, comfort, you know, I I hate Ah, the large market, small market conversation. Cause to me, really, when you're talking large market, what you're saying is Lakers because it's (laughs) not really large markets because I tell people this all the time who have the Knicks signed in the last 20 years. They're they're the largest market. Who have they signed? Atlanta is the blackest city you could possibly find. Who have they signed as free agents? No one signs in Atlanta. It's not about the the Chicago Bulls. You can't tell me Chicago ain't a big market, but they don't sign nobody. So it's not about big market versus small market. It's about, is your organization good? Are you creating an environment for winning? And Brandon Ingram is also like people always people talk about how it seems like he was born in New Orleans. I know Kinston, North Carolina. I know those people. <laughs> like you've seen articles lately on how their per population, how many pro athletes they produce for such a tiny town. Right. Brandon Ingram is just a dude that doesn't need the extra. He doesn't need the extra. And New Orleans is very much a place without the extra for people. You can blend in in New Orleans. And I think B.I. digs that he can go to work. He can do his thing. And if he's out in public, people are not going to bother him. He can just be who he is. And I think that's very much different than in L.A. where they expect you to be not just a basketball player, but to be an L.A. star. And right. those are two different things. Well, did you did you hear him on, on JJ, JJ's uh, podcast? Like, I, I thought I was amazing. How JJ got him to open up. I thought we'd never hear <laughs> that from, from me. That was amazing to hear. But just hear him talking about this in L.A., he was like, 
we were playing basketball, guys are like searching their name on Twitter. And he was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not that guy. No, <laughs> he's like, I just want to play basketball. So I was like, it's, it, it's really is a hand in glove, hand in glove feel like I like, I like we've talked about, I'd like to see the roster book a little better around the two guys, but as far as the city and the culture, it's a hand in glove fit for, for where he is right now. Zion Williamson for me. Um, I think Zion has a higher floor than most guys. Yeah. Um, but I worry about his ceiling and mm. you know, that, that gets me in trouble with folks because my thing is, I don't think Zion will ever be a dominant rebounder. Oh. That's I don't, I, as an offensive rebounder, he is incredibly elite, but I don't see the defensive rebounding instincts. And they typically don't, those, that rebounding is the one thing that transfers on every level. Guys who are great rebounders always are great rebounders. Defensive rebounding is not to me his forte defense in general is not his forte at this point. I, I don't see the instincts on that end. You know, he's a phenomenal athlete. But then when you look at those Duke tapes, when I saw him at Duke, I said the defense was the biggest part that I had a problem with because he was allowed to play free safety at Duke. Yeah. Just run over and be an athlete because you're playing against guys who you will never see again. Never in your life when you play <laughs> against these dudes. You go And people would show you his high school tapes. And I'm like, those are children. <laughs> he is a grown man playing against children. I'm not impressed by blocking shots of those children. I think he can be a good team defender. You can teach anybody to be a good team defender. But I do think that over the course of their careers, if you ask me which one would finish higher based on their total set of skills, I do believe Brandon Ingram will play, play out at a higher level. Do I think Zion can be a dominant post force? Yes. Do I think Zion can expand his offensive repertoire? Yes. But do I think that there is a ceiling on him? Um, do I think he's like when people talk about him as the same level as LeBron? No, I don't see that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's where you're gonna have to stop it for me. I don't see him being a player that by himself. And that's when if you're talking LeBron level, there that's LeBron, KD, certain guys who come to your building and automatically change your franchise. You're, to you're a, a contender winner, right now. You're a contender right that's, now. That's not Zion. Zion yeah. needs other people. There's no shame in that. That's why. No, not at all. That's 99 of the 99.9 of the dudes in the league. You need help. But I think if your expectation is that Zion is going to be the one, then I think most folks will end up being disappointed. I think that. Unfortunately, Zion just where, where he was. I just I'm, uh, I don't know what's complete history, but it, it seems like watching him play is like he's such a freak athlete. Nobody kind of coached him on the finer details of defensive end of the ball. Like he's very for as freakish as the athlete as he is. A lot of things is the reaction to a lot of things is very slow. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like with Stan, like I said, Stan, I think Stan McGuinn is a perfect coach. He's going to teach him like how to play defense, kind of how to maybe see things one pass. A lot of that is like internal instinct. Like Draymond, what the style of stuff Draymond Green does, that is, that's uncoachable. You can't teach I just, it. I just, I just, I just see the game. Like it was, it's just Draymond Green scored one point yesterday was the second best player on the floor. Like it's, I don't think he'll be that level defensively, but if you can just teach him to like basic help defense, like when to rotate, when to close out, when to slide over, he can be okay. But I think it's going to happen is you're going to have to have a, an athletic rim protector behind Zion so he can kind of play that free safety role where he was comfortable with. I think that's how you maximize his or cover up his deficiencies defensively because the reality is he's a 6'6 power forward right now. So he's going to be at a side disadvantage majority of, of the night. So he's going to be relying on athleticism and he's going to have to rely on his speed defensively and have to start working to get one step ahead to see things before they happen. And hopefully he can do that with Stan. But I agree with you. 
the defense has got it. He's got a long way. It's better than it was last year, but he's still got a long way to go. It's just and a lot of it for me, which is kind of disappointing, is effort. Like yes. you're twenty, you're twenty years old. You should be playing hard. There's no excuse for for some of the effort plays I'm seeing. But like I said, uh, you know, Stan pulled him for defense late last game. Yep. So hopefully that is a wake up call. Okay, let me focus on both ends. So I keep, I'm he's too athletic to get pulled for defense late. Way too athletic. That shouldn't happen. No, and and that's the thing. It's the effort and it's the um, concentration because yeah. you'll see it. You'll see it wane where when the ball goes away and it switches sides, his eyes follow the ball yep. and his man is is moving into a different spot and relocating into the corner a lot. It's that corner especially that, that teams relocate on Zion off ball movement. And that's why you see this huge number of contested threes on his list because he's having to run back out to that spot <laughs> Because his man was able to find an open spot in the defense. He's a, he's a ball watcher. He's a ball watcher, yes. like, like a lot of young players. The thing is, and, and but Zion, it's not just him. The thing is, the spotlight is on him so much. That's where it's gonna. That's where it's gonna be magnified. Because I saw like John Hollinger. He's been down on Zion for a couple of years. I thought it was kind of bush league when he posted that that one clip. Like, look at this YMCA level defense. He's been hating on Zion since he got drafted. So it's like. Zion's got to understand that with where he is and the, where he was drafted and what's expected of him, it's going to be stuff like that. And I think he's only 20. We're saying this. Right. It's 30 games. It's 30 yeah. games. 30 in. games. It's, yeah. it's, I'm not making a career judgment and people. Right, 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 right. But yeah, it's like, do I ever expect him to make an all NBA defensive first team? Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. Because no. like you said, those are, there are certain things that you are, that you just as those are your instincts. Right. His instincts come from Zion's instincts come from his, his, supernatural ability with touch, knowing spacing, timing, those types of things. And they predominantly showcase themselves on the offensive end right now. He um, has a great understanding of angles. So offense, yes. he knows how to get that shot off the glass. Like that, that for 20 years old, that, that is otherworldly right now. I, I, I was, I was when, to, when to finish with a layup, when to finish with two hands, he knows right. the difference. And, and that is something, again, those are the things you cannot teach people. Those are things that they have instinctually. And he has great instincts on that end. It's just defensively, I think you're right. There has never been a point because when, and I ask people this question too, and I ask I'm, of several NBA players at certain times, when would they have been taught this? Because in high school, your coach is, is like, I got Zion Williamson, I'm playing in this private league. What am I going to tell that boy? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, throw him the ball. Right. Give right, Zion right. the ball. Zion, get the ball back. These are the things we talk is give Will the ball. You know what I'm saying? Get it to right, pass right, it to right. Will. That's the, that's what most of these kids grew up with, with passes to Will. And yeah. then he gets to college for one year. What's, what's Mike Krzyzewski going to teach him in that one year? He was trying to win a championship. He's got <laughs> Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, and uh, R.J. Barrett. Uh, and, right? Barrett. Yeah, right. and so how, you're just trying to fit that together in a quick amount of time and make it work. So you're not, you know, you can't spend a whole bunch of time on individual skill development. And so I think, you know, I, talking with Pelicans coaches last year, they, one of the things they told me about a lot of the young guys on this roster was that when in life have they experienced adversity on a basketball court? Right. The NBA is the first time in their life that they've had to experience adversity on a basketball court. And that's not the time to be learning that. And I think exactly. that's when you talk about Jackson Hayes, a dude who I think is one of those kids who all of a sudden grew, woke up and was like, I'm seven feet tall. <laughs> People were like, you need, you should be playing basketball. He was like, yeah, that'll be fun. And it was real fun. And now it's a job. And you go into the NBA and people keep saying, well, he's only, he's only played organized ball, but you, you came into the NBA. You took the check. 
You it took the money. Oriented. <laughs> it was result oriented. Yeah, the thing is with, with with Jackson, I just I just I just would like to see a step forward. Like I said, he he was okay last game, and I think today he'll be really tested. You got Sabonis, you got Miles Turner. He's gonna have to play like those fifteen minutes he gets today, or whatever thing uh, gun he gets. He's going to have to play to keep the Pelicans in this game. When Adams is off the floor, he's going to have to produce today because there's Turner, Sabonis, right, and then T.J. Warren plays some four. So you're gonna have to. But T.J.'s you know, out. He got that foot surgery. Out. That's yeah. right. He had the foot surgery, but yeah, you you got some bigs you got to deal with. Those two big wise, they can shoot it. So he's got to be aware he can't lose those guys. They can rebound it. They crash. They can the put it on the floor. Exactly. So he's going to have to play. So I think it'll be a good test. But like I said, man, it's just he's getting trial by fire right now, and it's because the team needs him to play. So, but it it's, we'll it's, it it just seems like with Jax, and you know there were stories last year about Jax, and there are stories this year about Jax. <laughs> like he's 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 not the dude who comes to study hall. You know what I'm saying? He's not, he's not, he's he's not from everything I've read until he's not, not the most mature guy. Like I said, these guys, like you said, they did take the money. Like you said, they took the check, but I, he's 20. And that speaks to your point about not having vets on the roster outside of JJ and maybe Bledsoe, Bledsoe's new, but a veteran big, who you kind of have to respect would be like, you wonder why Miami keeps signing you down as has on the one year contracts. <laughs> you ain't showing up late if you, yeah, right. you know what I'm saying. You yeah, right. don't have to play. Yeah. Everybody knows UD gonna be the first one in practice. Exactly. Everybody knows UD exactly. is getting his lifting in. Right. So, so uh, this is I think this is the aside from the Suns, this is probably the best team they played so far, which is the the Pacers. So this would be mm-hmm. a good game. So I think they got blown out by the Suns. Another test against a good team. I think they'll be up to play. So I'm excited, man. Like I said, I, I think this team. I kind of overrated the West, I think, coming in, looking at it. I think the L.A. teams are obviously the cream of the crop. I think Phoenix is kind of separating themselves early as that third team to keep an eye on. But after that, uh, it might, the Pelicans, I think they're right there in that clop of teams. That four, that yeah, four, four to two, 12? What, exactly. It's going to be like maybe four games separating those teams. So and then think, it's a lot like three years ago in the West. Remember when, team, when it went down to the last game of the season? Right, 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 right. So they, if, if the Pelicans really want a playoff spot uh, – It'll be there for him. Like I said, I think that's that's a lot of pressure on a super young team. But looking at the composition of the West, Denver lost a lot of wing defenders. They took a step back. Portland's the worst defensive team in basketball. They'll have, you'll have a chance to beat them. And then Dallas can't defend. So many bad defensive teams in the West. If Portland, if New Orleans plays good defense in the offense, the shooting kind of regresses to the positive regression, to the mean, they'll be right there in that, that five through eight probably playing. I had them as a playing team, but looking at the West, they can get to the playoffs if they play the right way this season, to me, looking at how the West is constructed. And win some damn home games. I mean, the Pelicans <laughs> have been the worst home team of any like actual playoff contending team in the West for the last four or five years. Yeah, last year I was watching, team. I was like, they don't have a home court advantage last year? I was like, they can't never, win home. Never! Never! I will tell you this, this is the truth. When the Pelic- the Hornets first got here, the first 12 games that I went to at the, what is now the Smoothie King Center, what was then New Orleans Arena, but all the way up through that, the first 12 times I went to home games, they lost. And I was like, I, would, I have never get to see this team win in person. It didn't matter who. That's how bad it just as home court has been in general for this franchise. And it's not the fans. It's just the team. You know what I mean? Don't play well at home. And this year, Two and zero at home. They got three more in this home stretch before they go on this road trip. 
they have to win these because you get Indiana. This is, like you said, that's a great test. And then you get OKC again, which you're supposed to be. And then um, I think it's – who's the other team that's last in this uh, home stretch? I'm trying to remember. But it's another bottom feeder. You got to – these are the games you got to clean up on. Yeah, I know they have a tough West Coast stretch. Oh, they got it's to go bad. That's and then they got the L.A. teams back-to-back. So it's like you got to get some – you got to get some ground here, right, before you want to, you want to stay – if you want to achieve your goals. I remember – and I read, you know, David Griffin said – uh, Brandon Ingram left the bubble so disappointed. He told Griff, he said, we are not missing the playoffs again. So, you know, hopefully that mentality sticks. What are your thoughts on David Griffin? I am I am of a mixed bag on Griff. Same. I think he has the right ideas about culture and trying to build something. You can tell his experience with LeBron left him jaded <laughs> about the just the, the year-to-year, no stability, uh, he's, I think he's big on stability and culture. I think he has the right idea there. Um, what I do, I think, I'm not saying neglected. I think in his rush to build the right culture and get the right type of guys, he kind of shirked the basketball side of things, which is like in 2020, you can't have a team that can't shoot on the floor. Like just stuff like that. And just, I think, I'm trying to figure out the right way without being mean here. It's just, I think he's got to understand the modern basketball a bit, just how the modern NBA game is right now. It's spacing, pace and space, shooting. To, to his credit, he's under, he's prioritized defense. You can see that that was his vision. And I think he's executed that. But I think to have a team with Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram on it and to be 25th in offense, I think that is an indictment on the GM. And yeah, I, think, I think, like you said, they need a veteran point guard and they need a veteran big, but like I said, the tax line is impossible to take in right now with the lack of revenue coming in. So it is what it is. I think he'll learn next year, and I think he'll address the issues. I, you know, my thing was, I go, you know, and I, you may not be as as deep in the Dell Dimps uh, history. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not. So yeah, I'm, I'm listening. I'm all ears here. So to me, look, we you you can blame Dell for a lot. And you, you know, oh, he's the guy who's responsible for those decisions. But I've had this conversation with guys from the birds, right? Bird rights, and, and our thing has always been this: you go back to the Chris Paul trade, the moment that that got denied, the moment you said you can't make that trade to LA when you want to trade into the Lakers, and I thought was the better deal because the, at the time they were going to get back Kevin Martin, who was a twenty point per game scorer at the time. Uh, they were going to get Louis Scola, who was a very solid big, Lamar Odom. Yeah, Odom, yeah. yeah. Lamar Odom and Goran Dragic, who is still <laughs> a starting caliber point guard in this league. Right. That's what they were going to get. I thought that was a great deal. Um, but, of course, it didn't end up being a deal. But to me, at that point, the, either the NBA is the owners or when the Bensons took over, they should have said, you can't be the general manager. Because if you're not going to authorize your G, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, I would, if, you, if I'm not authorized to make the deal, then what am I? Right. You feel me? And I understand why Dell kept the job because there ain't but so many jobs as GM in the NBA, and especially for a black man. You take the job and you try to ride it out and you try to win. You have Anthony Davis. You figure we can try to build something. But at the same time, he never got any of the things that that Griff got. He never got a supporting staff in the front office. He never got mm. you know an assistant GM. He never got a, a talent, uh, you know, people just on player development. He never got any of those things. He never got the investment financially that the Benson family all of a sudden was given to David Griffin. 
that's not against David Griffin in any way. You you do you take advantage of the situations as right, they come. right, right. But for all of that, I will say that I that at times I feel like J- David Griffin is very much image conscious and has oh, made himself as a GM the face of a franchise, which is unusual to me because most GMs or or presidents of basketball operations or vice president, whatever their role is, you don't know them. I see Daryl Morey's name out there, and it's usually because Daryl Morey does say some crazy stuff. <laughs> David Griffin a lot, and I find that that's the one that's one thing that kind of gets on me a little bit is that he's so image conscious about himself, and that presentation I think from the LeBron situation and no, how was he was that. viewed was that he's that. using this to publicly reshape his image. Because I don't think I think he feels like I need to build something where I get some of the credit. I was just going to say that for Cleveland. I was just going to say that that's exactly what it seems like. And the things is it kind of works in new Orleans because the two guys you're building around are very unassuming. Don't want the spotlight. So it kind of works, but I definitely see what you're saying, but you know, Brandon Ingram doesn't want to do commercials. He doesn't want credit. I just want to hoop Zion Williamson. I mean, he'll do it, but he's not like, this is what I'm here for. Zion's worried about, he's worried about getting, becoming a better basketball player, getting himself in shape, ready to play. So I think it kind of, I, I agree with His whole team is under yeah. guys who don't want to talk. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just very, the damn Lonzo ain't out there, you know yeah, Right. I mean, Lonzo, Lonzo, but he's got his own, I got my own ball in the family show. I rap, I'm good. I don't need the, anybody else's spotlight. I can make my own spotlight. So, and so I think you're, you're, I'm 100% agreeing with you, but I think it works because the nature of the roster. Um, could it be a problem down the line? Maybe. But right now, I think it works because the stars you're building around are just very unassuming guys who are just basketball first and everything else second. But I agree with what you're saying. He definitely wants some credit. And and it's human nature, right? Yeah. He put a lot of work in. He had a lot of say in the things that went down, even in the back and forth with LeBron. Because you see all the, all the credit Palinka's getting in L.A., right? And Grip was like, wait. I did, I, did, I did that in 2016 and everybody said it was all LeBron. So it's like, it's human nature, man. And if that makes him become a better GM, then the Pelicans reap the benefits, right? Oh yeah. And it, but <laughs> they better win. That's yeah, the whole yeah. thing is you better win. It has to pay off. Cause if it doesn't, those will be the things that people pick, pick at. And they'll say, you spent your time trying to be famous. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, you know, this, this is the way the world goes. Cause we can go to the rest of the NBA and that backlash, like you said, t- you talked about yesterday. Steph Curry goes off, gets 62, and he's been the subject of slander <laughs> all year up to this point. The whole time he's been out, there's been nothing but Steph slander. And I think people fail to understand again how difficult it is for a dude 6'3 in the NBA to lead a team to anything. It does not happen very often in this league. There yeah, are you got, only yeah. you got I what I, Isaiah Thomas. Yes. Iverson. Yes. And, and Steph. Steph, yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's the list. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and, um, I, I, to see Steph finally hit off and, and people to not understand and say, well, why is he not carrying this team and show pictures of LeBron? Those teams that Iverson had, the team that LeBron had, they were built to play around Allen Iverson, built right. to play with LeBron James. This was not the group that was that Steph Curry was built to play with Steph Curry. Yeah, Clay, you got a max player out. Clay, like Oubre is supposed to be off the bench. You got a starter playing, a bench player playing starters. But I, I think just quick off off baseball, just with the Warriors, 
I, I gave Steph a little bit of, uh, you know, crap's like, Steph, okay, you see what you have. You have to adjust your game and understand you have to be on the ball a little more. And I think that's the adjustment he made after that rough start. Okay, give me the ball. I have to be this guy. And it won't be 60 every night, but he'll understand that I need to have the ball and be making decisions anymore, not leave it up to Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins because I have to be the veteran on this team and take control. So I think going forward, you'll see more Steph on the ball. And he doesn't average 28 a game. They're not going to make playoffs anyway. So he understands what's what's in front of him. And people forget how young that team is too. That is an incredibly young team around him. Yeah, and again, it's like another team where they could probably make a move, but that tax line, Ubre, you know, he's only making uh, fifteen mil, but the tax bill shot up to eighty four million, uh, taking him in because of where their tax situation was. So another team that's stuck, and they're gonna have to make do with it because of the financial landscape of the league right now. Brooklyn is an interesting situation to me. Called it. They can't defend anybody. No. They're not, not going to win. I, and to me, I, I, before the season, my pick to go to the finals was uh, Philadelphia. I finally saw Maury came in there. He finally put people around Simmons and Embiid that don't play the same positions. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you bring in Al Horford. Okay, he's a center, and he's playing along Embiid. Who's, it doesn't fit. So he put in guys who play. He's got uh, Tobias playing his correct position, a four, not a three. You got Danny Green, who's of that shooting comes and goes. But I think the key was Seth Curry. There's so much more space and they didn't lose any defense. They're an elite defensive team who can score like that team is legit. Like as a Laker fan, I am petrified, not petrified, but I'm wary of the Philadelphia 76ers. Like they if Doc has them right, they can beat anybody in a series. And that's the yeah, that's always been the thing with the Sixers is where their head's at. Yep. That's always what it's been, is where their head's at. Because if Ben Simmons, who honestly should be – and it's not about his shooting. To me, it's never – for Simmons, it's not about the fact that he can't shoot threes. Attacking. Yes. And that was his pro- – that, that's his problem going back to the first time I saw him play at LSU. He was one attack. Uh, is that – it's like, dude, get your big ass in the, by the rim. Dude, <laughs> you know, no one can get around you. You are agile. You, you're 6'10". You can elevate. You can do all the things that – so why do you not do that more? If he would drive more, it's not about the three. I don't need him to take five threes a game. To do what? To make yeah. one? Yeah, it's like, yeah, that, that's overblown. Same thing, just if if he's in attack mode, and, and again, Embiid, if Embiid plays like this, how he's playing now, he'll be in the MVP conversation. I've I watched the, the four Philadelphia games. He is a man possessed right now. He, he looks in like, better shape. Yeah, yeah, he's like he's twenty. He's at twenty five and thirteen. He's shooting fifty seven percent, eighty percent from the line. It's just he's an unstoppable force right now. I think, and I think he hears the Jokic noise too, because a lot of people start putting Jokic. Up. I think Embiid is a type of guy. He's he's a he's a name searcher on Twitter. He absolutely is. <laughs> he absolutely is because he was so mad that he didn't get any any list last year. He didn't make yeah. any All NBA teams. He didn't make any All Defensive teams. He didn't get nothing. And Embiid really he cares about that stuff. And yeah. maybe and some dudes, hey, that's how you got to get motivated. Then motivated. But I I do go back and a lot of people point out in the All Star game, who did they go to down the stretch? Who did team Who did team LeBron? They threw it to Embiid because there's no one. Who can guard that man one on one? Yes, if he has the same. I, I know a guy who works uses synergy. He said Embiid has the same PPP as Shaq did in the post, which is why I don't understand why he won't go in the post all day. If you have the same PPP as Shaq, you need to be have you have your mind in there all game. <laughs> He's unstoppable. Yeah. He's yeah. unstoppable. He got left hand, right hand, drop step. He can and he can shoot the fade away. It's he like can shoot free throws. That's he can shoot. Yes, he can't foul. You can make free throws. 
He's unstoppable in the post. He can he could make he could score thirty a night just in the post. And he just again he gets that thing where he wants to look pretty. And it's like, dude, you don't have to look pretty, Joel. You don't have to look pretty, dog. It ain't for the you ain't got to do it for the gram. Right. You ain't got to do it for the gram. The the, the championship is gonna be one for your your behind in their paint. Uh, let's talk about the the West Coast, the Lakers and the Clippers. The Lakers haven't gotten off to the start that many people thought they would. The Clippers certainly have not gotten off to the start that I thought I think people thought they would. Lakers well, the for different reasons. Well, Lakers Clippers, for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. The Clippers are they're, the Clippers are number one seed right now. They they kind of came out. They, they had that one stinker against the Mavs where they lost by fifty. But other than that, they only they only lost one game that Kawhi has played in. Mm-hmm. So when he's played, they've been pretty much, um, you know, an elite team like I thought they would. The Lakers, it's I expect it's a seventy one day layoff to a season. LeBron they don't care and AD, right now. Yeah, LeBron and AD are kind of the, the crazy part is they're still like number two in net rating in the NBA. The team, I think Palinka built a great team around them. Uh, I think I didn't love the Trez addition because of his defense. What he does do is on those nights where guys don't have any energy, that's where Trez kind of infuses the team. I, I think I think Trez too. Part of reason to bring Trez over is because Trez gave AD the business a lot. Trez is one of the dudes that that's AD true. did that's not true. like to play against. Trez, yeah, I, I recall that. I recall that. He's just a very physical guy. <laughs> and I mean, I'm gonna take my my enemy and turn him into my friend. And teams yeah, do that so. all the time. Yeah, and I think so I you think know, Trez is a is is a garbage man unparalleled. And that's not an insult. He's a yeah, garbage he man those unparalleled. Those guys, those guys win for you. Those guys win games for you. So yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of his, his, his defense, but he is trying a little harder. Like this season, it seems like he's a little trying a little bit harder. But yeah, the Lakers are just. Going through the motions right now is a short season. They're waiting for February. Yeah, they're optimizing health and and, and just keeping guys upright. I think LeBron and AD are only playing 31, 32 minutes a game, which is way off their career averages, which is fine by me. They're they're optimizing, prioritizing the long haul. They'll be be turning up in the playoffs. I think the Clippers, they need the number one seed for just mental reasons, I think, especially for Paul George. They need to see something like, okay, we're the number one seed. They They need that confidence going forward. A because just to for Paul George's mental health, quote unquote, <laughs> and then they also need to avoid a bad matchup like they did last year with Denver. Like I don't think the Clippers want to see the Suns in that second round. Like that that's that's a that's a that's a tough match. Like they they were up thirty early and gave them the big lead, but I don't think they want to see Phoenix. They kind of have some of the similar um, matchup issues that they had with um, with the Nuggets. They have that explosive guard and Booker. They have the center. Aiden has been a beast with Chris Paul. That pick and roll game has been incredible with those two. And then they got the, the point guard, Chris Paul, who's always going to be ready in the playoffs. So I think the Clippers want to avoid the Suns at all costs. So I think they are really going to push hard for that number one seed. Is that the thing that will hold the Clippers back? Is their lack of a true point guard? Yep. Yeah. I've said this from jump. The Clippers, they can't stop runs. This, the, even this season, you see these teams go on these. They get up 30, lead gone. Against the Lakers, game one, give them a 20-point lead in one quarter. They won the game. They get a 20-point lead in one quarter, though. Um, I think for the, the numbers are going to look great. Clippers are going to have a top-shelf offense, top-shelf defense. But my thing for a point guard is when other team is on a run, we're on the road, we need to get a good look. A point guard, hey, give me the ball. It needs to go here. We need to get this guy shot, get this guy right here. And I think that's what they're missing. The Lakers have that in LeBron. Nope, give me the ball. I'm going to get the ball. To where I'm going to get free throws and get AD a look. Sons, Chris Paul, nope, we need to get Devin Booker a shot in his spot, right? I think that's where they 
it's going to it could bite them in the playoffs like it did last year. Yeah, giving up. I mean, you give up lead after lead after lead. It's because you don't have leadership in those tough situations. And Kawhi is a great player, approaching all time status for me personally with the with the work he's put in. But he is not a vocal leader, uh, like a, a like a Kyle Lowry. The, the Clippers don't have any more assets. They trade everything for Paul George. But a Kyle Lowry would be just a cherry on top for a contender right now if they could get. But it's it's tough. You got to match thirty million dollars. It's right. Just, Tough right now, but just a quint- uh, those guys matter in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that's 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 where it could hurt them potentially. Yeah, I absolutely think that 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 issue of having somebody who says okay comes in a huddle and says all right, all right, you know, like you said, I, right. I need the ball right now because I'm gonna take care of this. Right. And that's not Kawhi. Kawhi knows what he can do. Kawhi absolutely knows what he can do, and he knows what you can do, but he might not be thinking about you at this moment. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and Paul George is not that guy. He is not Maybe. the one to, you know, you're not going to put the ball in his hands yeah. to be the decider. And to give Ty Lue credit, he understands they didn't have a point guard. So what he did was he implemented a lot of triangle concepts from what the Bulls and Lakers did because he did play for the Lakers mm-hmm. when they ran triangle to put to let Kyle and to let uh, PG and Kawhi operate out of the high post and make the sense. They're both averaging career high in assists this right. year. I think. Uh, Kawhi's at six, and then Paul George is at, at six as well. Both career highs because he's letting them play make out of the high post, but it's because they don't have a point guard. It's out of necessity. But in the playoffs, I think they need you need a lead dog for kind of intangible reasons, and I think that might end up biting them. But talent-wise, they are bar for bar with the Lakers. I, I'll say that. I think the Lakers, last year the Lakers kind of took the regular season more seriously and were kind of more cohesive. And I think that's true in the playoffs. They had to pro- the yeah, Lakers exactly. had to prove in the regular season last year. Yeah, after the, the, the year LeBron had, uh, AD got traded. We, I have to make sure I'm worth what they traded. LeBron, they called me the washed, the washed king, right? So you're right. They had a whole bunch to prove. And I think what LeBron did realize is that first year in L.A. with the young guys, his leadership was terrible. I, was, I watched it. it. It was not up to snuff. I will give him credit. He did an all-out correction. He was real big on team chemistry that second year. Obviously, it's easier to buy in when you have a unicorn, Anthony Davis, but that's that's neither here or there. But he did make team chemistry a priority, and that team was very much together, and I think that helped them have a dominant playoff run. That stuff matters at the end of the day. It absolutely does, and and I think that that's why you see it's so hard to replicate some of that magic that – Denver had, you know, you see them get off to the start that they get off to. And it's so hard for Dallas to, you know, last year Dallas was the best offense that in the history of the NBA. Well, that stuff catches up to you when you don't have everybody on offense. You lose a Seth Curry and Porzingis is not around and you can't outscore people and your defense is still bad. And Dallas defense is still yeah, it's, bad. It's bad. That's why I done. That's why I did. I didn't put Luca in my MVP. Luca was a sexy MVP pick. I was like, I don't think they're going to win enough games for him to, to do that. And the reason Westbrook got it when he did it because he did something that hadn't been done in thirty some thirty plus years, and he had the sympathy from KD leaving, so he had those narratives in his in his favor. Luca's just not going to win enough to to be in the MVP race. I think he's going to put. He's struggling right now mightily. I think. Uh, you know, like I said, those guys on the other end, they get paid too. Like they're up for Luca now. It's like, oh, this is the future of the league. Okay, let me play today. Like he's not, he's he's getting and we need to have them Luca conversations like we have about Embiid and like yeah. we have about Zion's physical. Luca need to get some shape. He's not in Luka. shape. He's not in shape. He's not in shape. 
Lucas got a round face, yo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, 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 and I get there's ways around us as a professional, but I will say this when I've read, when I've talked to a guy or uh, tweeted with guys, his country was super strict with COVID restrictions, so he couldn't get out like he wanted to. A lot of countries with you know full lockdown yeah. don't leave your house. Yeah, but I, I will say he's got to get in shape because right now he just he's a he's a load carrier player, and those guys have to be in shape. Yeah, right he's, now he's like he's just he's not in shape right now. No. But I think, like I said, it's, the 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 Luca Trey conversation isn't closed. The people thought it was closed, but Trey is playing out of his mind right now. I think it's going that's going to be a fun conversation years to come. Atlanta is a fun thing to think about. I mean, all the things that they've added over the last two seasons and getting Clint Capella and yeah. bringing those forwards on, Cam Reddish, who I wanted to see in New Orleans personally. <laughs> I thought Cam Reddish would have been Ditto. a perfect compliment for Ditto. this group. Ditto. Um, but uh, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and that, that pick and roll that they're running with John Collins, a Wake Forest dude, shout out to my Demon Deacons. But <laughs> John Collins is, is – is, last year seemed like Collins had regressed. And this year, it seems like he's taking another jump forward. The Hawks, man, Lloyd, Lloyd got them playing ball. They remind me of that. Remember that year when the Phoenix Suns burst into the scene? It was 4 with Nash. Mm-hmm. They had Nash, Q Rich, Amari, and those boys, and Marion, right? Yep. They just, just were a loaded team. They remind me of that team. It was like, they're super fun. They're going to win a lot of games. I just don't know how serious to take them because of the way they defend. And I just, I, I watched that, and you're old enough to know this. Um, remember the old ABA games? Mm-hmm. That's how that Nets-Hawks game looked. I was like, this is an ABA game. <laughs> I was like, nobody's guarding anybody. It's insane shot making, and they're just trading shots back and forth. Whoever misses more shots is going to lose. Whoever just makes the, has the ball last is going to win the game. So, like, I think Atlanta, once they focus, uh, they're going to be a playoff team, I think. But I think once they focus up on defense, they'll become a, a serious contender. But like I said, there are a lot of bad defensive teams in the NBA right now. It's a terrible across the league. I think I think part of it is the short the short turnaround offense. And all the player defense. movement. Offense is going to be in front of defense always with the player. Like you said, the player movement, short offseason. Teams are going to be – offense is going to be ahead of the, the other thing is the rules these days make it so hard to defend. It's so it's, – it's rough. Can't touch a guy – freedom of movement, got to let the shooter land, hard to contest shots. You're kicking guys out for block, trying to block shots. <laughs> it's, 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 it's rough. You're, you're literally emphasizing not playing defense right now in the league, which is why I think with the Pelicans focus there, they can make the playoffs. Like I said, teams that defend and start to get some cohesiveness on that end, they'll start to separate themselves, which is why I'm kind of giddy on what the Pelicans are doing, even if their offense is suffering a lot because of it. But the way they're defending, I'm giddy on where the the, the trend is going right now. Defense travels. Exactly. Anywhere you want to go. And the fact that the Pelicans defend without fouling, Yes, and do not send you to the free throw line. That I like that was an issue true. last year. I thought like that was an issue last year for them. Just a lot of hacking. <laughs> a lot of hacking last season, and this year I think they're number one in the league. I think number two in the league and second fewest amount of free throws allowed. Yeah, so I mean that's that's incredibly important, especially as you go for, especially when you've got guys like Zion who doesn't really foul a lot. Zion, but that also shows you that as a big, I'm usually surprised when I don't see my bigs getting around three fouls a game. Because <laughs> that means they ain't putting their hands on people. And I want my bigs to be putting their hands on people. Right, I, want right, them right. To, I want somebody to be scared of Zion. You know what I'm saying? At some point, just yeah, put somebody yeah. on their ass. I want you to do that <laughs> just one time for me. I need to see it. I know Steven Adams will do it. I know that will happen. I know B.I. <laughs> will do it. 
You know, say people like to keep saying this the whole thing about B.I. being mild mannered and the most peaceful guy. He's peaceful to a point. That dude will don't misjudge quiet for soft. That dude. Oh yeah, is not I remember. Soft. I, oh, I know. I, I saw the James Harden, uh, the James Harden issue. I, re- I remember. <laughs> so uh, he's he's not that at all. He's just definitely that quiet, reserved guy in the cuts who you don't want to trigger. <laughs> That's the, I'm gonna do the last one on that on James Harden. That situation is so unusual. Um. I think it is something that is going to be it's going to come to play when the CBA is opened, um, when these te- when, the, when the owners have these discussions. Because I've said this before, guaranteed money is not part of the CBA. Players mm-hmm. getting their money, their contracts guaranteed is not something that is codified in NBA contracts. It's something the know. owners do. I didn't know that, and I think that that is something that will be revisited if players are going to start demanding trades and, and publicly doing this two and three years before their contracts in AD's situation is not James Harden's situation. Hmm. AD's timing and how he handled it were poorly, but he Very. was going into, he was in the final, you know, the point where yeah. he could say, I don't want to sign an extension. James Harden is under contract with years to go. Yeah. And yeah, is basically yeah, yeah. trying to gaslight his way out of Houston I, I he, he, there's some things you just can't do as a professional, and that's where I think the James Harden line. You could Anthony Davis was bad form. James Harden is bad business. Yeah. I, I, well, I, first of all, just before we get into that, I think James Harden just you can't see the forest for the trees right now. That that's the same. My thing is for me, you know, I'm a coach. I, I don't have NBA aspirations, but you see a guy like Stephen Silas who's been grinding his whole career to finally get a shot. And he's got to deal with this walking in the door. That's the first thing I want to acknowledge. I feel bad for that guy. He's doing the best he can to navigate it. So hopefully it doesn't end up costing him uh, down the road. You know, thankfully for Tid is cheap. So he's not going to fire him. He's going to get a <laughs> chance to finish his contract. <laughs> but I, I, I feel bad for them that, that, that aspect of it. Apparently the issue with hard and ownership is beyond repair. So he wants out. There's some issues there. Um, you're completely right. It's hundred percent bad for business. What I didn't like is James be fine. If you're going to trade, but don't risk the NBA season going to these parties and clubs. And like that, that part to me was like, okay, that's borderline suspendable. If you're mm-hmm. going to you know, play that guy and skip training camp and mandatory practices to be in the club to, between Atlanta and Vegas, like, come on, dude, what are you doing? You know, you know where the country is right now. Like that's just tone deaf right there. Like yeah. globally tone deaf. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm not the hugest Harden fan. I acknowledge his greatness. I'm not the I'm not I'm not the greatest. Like watching that that brand of basketball, the foul hunting and and the martyr ball. One for four guys watching one. It's not the funnest style of basketball for me to watch. I do acknowledge the greatness it takes to be able to do that and put yourself your team in position to win night in night out, which he does. But I just hope it gets resolved. Like I said, Stephen Siles is taking a brunt of this because he doesn't know when it's going to happen, who he's game planning with, who's going to be there. So and I feel for John Wall. I feel for yeah. Boogie. I feel for Christian Wood. I feel for all exactly. those dudes because they, they all came into this situation figuring, oh, we got a chance to, to reinvigorate ourselves. We playing alongside a dude who's in the top three, top five MVP for the last five years. Yo, we can do something. And James like, eh. Yeah, to me, the funny part is I like this team. If he buys in, this team is better than what they had last year. Wall is better than Westbrook. Like Westbrook's better, more athletic, but Wall is just a better point guard. You know, Wood is an upgrade over what you had. You still got P.J. Tucker. You still got Daniel House. 
that is a good basketball team if you know Harden buys in and gives himself to it. But like I said, everything I've read with the athletic and the, the Shams reports, the, the ownership, the relationship of ownership is just you know untenable. So hopefully they trade him sooner rather than later. I think the you know I don't know I could start to heard the Raptors from watching ESPN or the like kind of like the late front runner because um, they're desperate right now. The Raptors are desperate. Yeah, I think it might Siakam be. has not continued to grow at the rate that they thought he was going to grow. Yeah, I just think he had a ceiling skill wise. Like when when you're not a great ball handler, I think you have a, a ceiling on your game. So like he, he averaged 23 last year, second team All NBA. I just think at some point the NBA film gets around if you don't develop, and guys can defend him like this, sit on a spin move, make him use his left hand, uh, make him shoot off the dribble. I think those things get around and, and it lowers your effect effectiveness if you don't continue to grow. And I think he just got to hit a uh, you know development is not linear. No. It's you hit, you hit, you know, you hit rough patches. He just got to fight his way through. I believe in Siakam. He got it out the mud, did not pick up a basketball until he was 16 years old. So I believe he eventually puts in the work to turn this around. You don't become that good in basketball in eight years without putting the work in. So I think he's going to fight his way through this eventually. He's the dude who came in as a four. That's what people forget. Is right. like, he's <laughs> just, he was supposed to be an athletic four, and now he's – like ball handling three. And exactly. it's, it's a much exactly. different exactly. situation for him. And and going from that number two guy to number one guy, that matters. Now, and he wasn't even really the number two guy. Was, I mean, it was Kyle. It was Kyle. Yeah. It was yeah. Kyle. So I mean, it's, it's from number three to number one because Kyle's getting older and he's going to be the future of, you know, at some point they thought of him as a future. So here, these are the keys, but you're going to be number one on everybody's sky report now. And it's different without Kawhi there to kind of take that brunt of the attention away. So, that's also the adjustment. All right. So this is how I'm going to close with you. <laughs> what I used to do on the radio show is I used to ask a set of questions. Um, but I'm, I'm going to give you a variation on it because everybody does a top five, top five dead or alive on their players. So I do want you to give me a top five by position. All right. Mm. Point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. And then of the from those top five, give me the best game from those top five like the best 10 the bet no the one game like the if for your point guard whomever it is like let's say if it's isaiah thomas oh, okay, you might okay, pick you. the game six against the lakers you know what i'm okay, saying okay. We're I got you, I got you, so. so what's the game for that guy so let's start with your point okay my point guard my top five point guards um magic obviously i don't care if it's, he's the goat i don't care uh two OGs don't hate me, but it's Steph, man. <laughs> Steph, number two. Um, Isaiah, three. This is where it gets tricky for me. Four. Sorry, man. My East Bay bias coming in. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. J Kid four, and then I'll go. Um, I'll go. Chris Paul five. No disrespect to Big O. I didn't see him much. I know he probably deserves to be in there. But that's is my but top. You, you can, five. yeah. I, I understand what <laughs> folks say. Look, I can't yeah. make an evaluation on somebody I never saw. Yeah. I don't think anybody should be it. beholden to that. Now, yeah, it's different between to say, man, Oscar Robinson wasn't shit. Now, if you do that, yeah, you that, that's why that, that, that's that that plumber talk is so disrespectful to me, man. But yeah, so those are my five. I go J Kid at four, and I go Chris Paul at five. So you Magic's know, uh, game. We we'll start. What game? What would be Magic's game for you? Oh, rookie year, baby. Rookie year. Kareem is out. We checking in the center. Let's get it done. 42, 15, and 7. All right. About, so shoot. I, I, I watched that game on YouTube about 10 times. Full, front to back. It's full games on YouTube. I love that game. 
Okay, give me the five, top five shooting guards. Top five shooting guards. See, this is where it hurts because my favorite player of all time is Allen Iverson. But I know he's not the best shooting guard ever. My second favorite player is Kobe Bryant, and he's not the best shooting guard ever. So one is MJ, two is Kobe, uh, three, Dwayne Wade, four, uh, Allen Iverson, and then five, uh, James Harden. Those are my top five shooting guards. All right, so give me the MJ game. MJ game. Um, he's had much, way more efficient games than this, but I got to go 1998 NBA Finals game six. Scotty can't go if there's a game seven. You're on the road in Utah, game on the line. Scotty's back is done. You know he can't play if there's a game seven. He doesn't take a break the whole second half. He can't because Scotty's hurt. He comes out, wills the team, and probably the clutchest minute and a half of basketball you will ever see. Bucket, steal, bucket. Clutches, most clutches men and a half in NBA Finals basketball in NBA history. And just clean, he knew. <laughs> I remember sitting there watching that in a dorm room in North Carolina. <laughs> and we had summer school. And you watch him come up behind Carl Malone <laughs> and just pick him clean. And it was like he knew because Carl had done that every time in the post. That same face up, it was coming. And MJ was just like, I'm right there. Take it. Dribble back down. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, that minute and a half. Woo. It was funny. My dad, not a huge Laker fan. He, he wasn't rooting either way. He was just watching. I remember him standing up. We were watching the game, and he's yelling at the screen, double, double, double. Don't let him play one-on-one. <laughs> and it was just all bad. <laughs> and, and I, it's just, it, I'm never going to get over Brian Russell really getting down in this position. Like, I got this. Yeah. Like, no, and the Jazz sending no help. It's like sending help. If anybody's going to beat you at that time, make it not be Jordan. You don't let you, Jordan. It, it, it's crazy. If you hear Jerry Sloan, he was, he was, he said, but he, he said he didn't double because he had last year in his mind. Remember he sent the double and when Kerr hit the shot, I was like, okay, you shake Steve Kerr's hand. You don't let the greatest closer in NBA history go one-on-one with the, with the fate of the universe on the line. <laughs> no, that's the, it's like, I hate when people say that. It's like, well, he beat me with a pass last I would rather Jordan beat me with the pass than the shot any right. day of the week. Right. Any day of the week. Anybody. If it's right. going to be LeBron. Okay, I want LeBron to make the pass. Then fine, make the pass. But you ain't driving to the basket on me. We ain't going to let you decide. It with <laughs> this is right. not going to happen. Small forwards. This one is a hard category. It small is, forwards is, is really hard. Obviously, I think LeBron has submitted himself as, as the greatest small forward ever. I'll go LeBron. Uh, sorry, KD fans, but Larry Legend is number two for me. Uh, I throw KD in there third, fourth. That's where it gets tricky. I'll go Julius Irving four, and then I'll go because he was a you know he was a, a leader of a team. And I go Scotty five. Scotty to me is the greatest defensive player, perimeter defender in NBA history to me. So I'll go Scotty five. So you pick LeBron. What would be that LeBron game if you could watch that one and just be I'm watching that one over and over. Down three two. Celtics in Boston Garden. Uh, I think it's going to be the second year in a row that Miami have flops, I think, because they lost in the final. No, they lost in the finals that year. They lost in the finals that year later on in that finals. But all the talk, he's a choker, can't get it done, leave Cleveland. He still can't get it done. He just decides to do what everybody was saying he should do, which is LeBron. Nobody can stop you. I think 45 and 15 to, you know, tie up 3-3, and then they win game seven. But, yeah, that game right there, it was that. And then that's probably a tie. It was one game when uh, against Detroit to get over the hunt when he scored the last 30. Yeah. So, I think that's a tie for those two games. 
uh, for me with LeBron. I'm going to pause right quick because I have to ask you this. Was that Boston group, I think that Boston group is overrated. Yep. Thank you. All right. All right. I just want to... I think that group is overrated. My pause is I'm also a Celtics hater. It's in my blood. I mean, it's yeah. not even that for me. Like, I hate the Celtics too. Look, I grew up a Knicks and a Lakers fan. That's what I grew up watching, the Knicks and the Lakers. So I hated Boston. But I respect I watched TV. Boston. I was like, you know, you you watch TV. I was like, no team has milked one championship more. None. None. No one has TV, media appearances and deals. I'm like, dog, <laughs> are you kidding me? I was like, honestly, I tell people all the time, like, the 2004 Pistons are a better basketball team. They were. They're a better basketball team. They were. They're a better basketball team. I was like, I love to see Rasheed. I love to see Rasheed Wallace and KG go at it. But the rest of that team, Detroit's better. Detroit's better. Kendrick Perkins can't touch Ben Wallace. That's why. That's why I say that. Can't ain't touch up there. Right. Ben Wallace. And you take that Rondo against Chauncey. Oh, Chauncey. Chauncey. The, the only spot where you say is you is Ray and and Rip would be what and what Ray and Rip be what and what. Yeah. Because they do it in different ways. They both off the ball guys, rip more of a mid-range dude. Ray obviously better as a three-point shooter. Right. And Ray a little bit more physical. Ray in his prime. People forget prime Ray going to the basket was a nasty dude. Yeah, and then you got, but then the Pistons had deep. You got Okor off the bench. Yes. Like that team was legitimately deep. And like Tayshawn defending. Right. So yeah, you got you got that team was that team was nine deep. Yes. Yes. They and they beat a better Lakers team in the finals. Um, and I, I think I still say, and people always talk about the Kendrick Perkins being missing from the second Lakers from the, the second Lakers finals matchup. No Bynum, you didn't have Bynum. No, that's right, exactly. No Bynum was a far bigger loss for the Lakers in that first series. Like you got Gasol going against those two rough houses there. Bynum would have made such a big difference. So people, again, Andrew Bynum. I, that's some. That's one dude that I'm trying to get on the pod because I I have to talk to Andrew Bynum one time you. in my life because at one point I thought he was on the verge of being the best center in the NBA. Legitimately, the best think, center in the NBA. Like, I love Andrew Bynum. I'm glad, like, the NBA has made mental health a, a serious issue now. Like, no. he's, I think he's one of those guys who could have reaped the benefits from just having somebody to talk to, <laughs> right? No, yeah. dude. I mean, it's a story that needs to be told at some right. point. Right. All right, let's go to the fours. Power four, uh, one of the most disrespected players of all time, Tim Duncan. Uh, My classmate. My, my my Lakers probably would have uh, won six championships in a row if it wasn't for that guy. <laughs> the guy, any guy who goes toe to toe with Kobe and Shaq and comes out on top a few times, you got to give it to him. Uh, I got Duncan second. Uh, I don't like this guy for uh, non basketball reasons, but Malone, you just got to give it to him off the body of your work. Um, after that, whew. I got to put Chuck ahead of Malone. I, I can't because Chuck's Carl, efficiency is so much better than Carl. I, I understand, but Carl defended, which I think, and Charles himself will tell you he didn't try much on defense. And I think that no, no, that is didn't. why I think that's why Carl ended up going to the finals a little more. Um, Carl also had the better point guard the majority of his career, so I, that that's he had some terrible teams around. Yeah, I, I, I'll say that. So that, that's that's fair. And I'm gonna go three. I'll go. Man, this gets rough here. My, I got the three in my head. I'm trying to figure out the order to put him in. Y'all, you put me on the spot here, man. I'm going to go. So three, I'll go. I'll go Chuck, three. I'll go Dirk, four, and KG, five. And the reason I go with Dirk, I, I, I like I like um, 
peak for peak, KG is probably better, but just longevity and making yourself effective. And that's not KG's knees kind of gave out. That's out of his control kind of. But Dirk's longevity and then changing the game, which he did just position with that stretch for becoming a just NBA regular, NBA NBA normalcy. I got to give Dirk the nod for that. And I think he had probably one of the greatest playoff runs ever. You knock off the top three players in the NBA at the time. You beat Kobe, you beat KD, then you beat LeBron in the finals. I don't know if that's ever happened before. So I, I, I give the nod to Dirk slightly over over KG, but that's probably the toughest position so far for me. This is the thing that I would say about the power forwards. All four of the dudes above KG that you have, I think if you put them on the team, they all would have gotten out of first rounds where Kevin yes. Garnett could not have. Well, K- KG, I think he's one of those guys, he was just unselfish to a fault. You watch him in terms of like, like Kev, you're passing too much. You got to take over this game. And I think the other four guys ahead of him, I put ahead of him, they had a tendency to even Dirk when stuff got going rough. Okay, I'm, I'm getting thirty. Just give me the ball. Just give me the ball. Just give me the ball. I need to get forty tonight. I'm getting exactly. the forty. Give me I the ball. See, I, and I didn't KG see that, enough, that dude. I didn't see that enough from KG. He probably was like the more versatile player of the of the four or five. But that takeover gene is is you know is definitely a factor for me. Stephon Marbury said it. KG is the man for three quarters, and then he, yeah, he turns it over to somebody else for the fourth. He did it, and that's his. That was his mo. Because remember, the only year that they got to the Western Conference Finals is when he had two of the biggest nuts dudes in the NBA, Sammy Cassell, and Sam. You know, what I'm like you had to bring in two of the hardest core dudes in the league. But if you listen to Sam, Sam, Sam thought he was the best player on every team he ever played for, and he played with a king. <laughs> And Sam came in the league when he was 25. Yeah, yeah, he was like, Sam was 25 <laughs> as a rook almost. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, Sam was that dude. I love yeah. Sam Cassell. He's okay, going to be head so, coach. He's going to be head coach one day. I can't, I can't wait for his head coach. Is the Timmy Duggan game or is it, is it the game uh, game four against the the, uh, the Nets? Yep, he, that quadruple double almost. Yes, <laughs> yes. I just think you just won't see that. He's just in Duncan. People think he was a super night. He was a killer. He was a kid. Well, I talk all the dudes who guarded him. It was like, he didn't say anything to you the whole 48 minutes. He just kept putting his foot in your behind all game. <laughs> all game. And you look up, he had 28 and 20 in eight blocks. <laughs> Bruh, I saw it up close closing person with the dude was 17 years old up until 17 oh, to that, 21. That, that, that must have been something to see, man. I, I'm, I'm jealous. When he came in and all the dude was wearing was the same Bob Marley t-shirt and jeans every day to class. And it was like, who is this dude for the Virgin Islands? And he played his first game. We was like, damn, this can't be yeah. cool. <laughs> like, he was like, all right. Like he was, he was the least thought of of the prospects that year. I remember, remember Maktar Njai was part of that group who ended up playing at Carolina and Michigan, went to the final four of Carolina. Wow. And uh, we had a dude named Ricardo Perot who had come from Spain was 6'10". and was supposed to be like that Novitski type, that stretch forward, you know, make butt shot. And Timmy was just this dude that they found in the Virgin Islands. That's all we knew about him. And it was like, oh, they Virgin Islands? Nobody would play ball in the Virgin Islands. He's a swimmer. That's what we knew. It was like, <laughs> oh, he used to swim. Like, yeah, that kid ain't going to be nobody. He never said nothing. You know, when you first got on campus, like, you just knew he was on the team. Yeah, right, right. First game, we we're like, oh, okay. All right, this cat can play. Yeah, right, but it's one of those guys where, you know, the Spurs were a Lakers rival, but as a basketball lover, you're like, I love watching that dude play. That's, is that, that's is, There's just guys like that. All right, we've got to do the final five, the centers, the big men. Kareem, who I think is criminally undermentioned in the GOAT conversation. So Kareem is one for me. Two, um, Akeem. 
two for me, three, Russell, West Oakland, California stand-up, uh, four, got to go with the Diesel, and then five, Chamberlain. So that's my five. And if you switch Chamberlain and Shaq, I wouldn't argue because Will was just ahead of his time. I heard all the stories of the books I've read. He's described as a superhero, and that even that's even from Jerry West describing him. He's probably the greatest athlete a lot of cats have ever seen with their own two eyes. So, <laughs> dude, seven foot one running the two hundred meters. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, so I can't running the two hundred meters, yo, in legitimate Big Twelve comp, Big Time, Big Eight competition at Kansas. Doing yeah. it. If you see, the, have you seen the pictures with him doing it with a cap on, like in meets? Oh yes, like I got he's rocking. He's that. rocking a plaid newsboy cap <laughs> in the meets. Yeah, I'm like, that's Will, yo. I think Will, 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 Will was ahead of his time, man. He's he's a 2020 a, a athlete. He's just a star. <laughs> man, if Will had social media, right? Come on, man. <laughs> Will would have been that dude. He yeah. He wouldn't have been the one checking for his own name because he know he'd be the dude know you already checking for his. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, like right. Will's like, I know y'all talking about me. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. <laughs> You're right. He he was built for the raw. He was built for this time. Yeah. Will in this time would have been a, just oh yeah. His nights out would have made Harden's look like a like just a yeah, joke. See, they would have just see Will would have had to have that that NDA baby. <laughs> <laughs> that, that NDA. We, we need you to sign this. That that Beyonce NDA. Got a what? What would be the Kareem game for you? There, there was one. So I was watching the uh, the Lakers Celtic the documentary. Mm-hmm. Remember that there was an issue was like Kareem had hit a rough patch. It's like, oh, he's done. And then he just comes out, I think like a, a high 30s or 40 point game in Boston. And then he goes in the interview. The only comment he says, I guess the rumors of my demise were, <laughs> were, were, were overblown. And I was just like, gotta love Cap, man. Gotta love man, Cap. The- one of my biggest regrets for Cap is he put the work in as an assistant all those years. And then nobody really gave him a shot, man. I thought that I thought that was a rough deal. He's one of the greatest players ever. He sat and watched one of the greatest coaches ever in Phil Jackson. Just nobody ever gave him a shot. And I thought that was kind of that was kind of wild. He kind of got a rough deal. He's too like too old now, like for the grind. But I just I, that's pretty one of my biggest regrets. The NBA never gave him a true head coach's shot. And he wanted it for years too. So and one of the greatest coach. minds. Inside or outside of basketball. You talked about Andrew Bynum, man. Who was he working with to develop him? Yep. Kareem, Kareem was with him every day. So yep. that's probably one of my biggest regrets that he didn't get a, a real shot at, 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 at a gig. And I love that story, too, because that's the game where Kareem's dad got on the bus before the game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Remember, they said no, nobody outside the Lakers is supposed <laughs> to be on the bus. And Kareem brings his pops with him and his pops is sitting there in the bus. Just they just quiet. They ain't really saying nothing. And the Kareem goes out there, and he's still to this day the oldest dude to ever win Finals MVP. Yeah, see, so it's just I think, and if he just doesn't get mentioned in the goat conversation enough for me. His his complete basketball accomplishments, college and NBA, it's just it's hard to ignore. He retired in 1989. He's still a scoring champion. Right. He's still the scoring champion. Right. That's right. and he didn't shoot no threes, yo. Right. <laughs> he didn't shoot no threes. He held the he held the, the the UCLA scoring record from the time he left until Reggie Miller broke it in eighty yeah, seven. Reggie, Reggie Reggie had to break it yeah, then yeah, with was, threes was, like yeah. it was, and he did it in three years. Remember, people forget three years and fewer games. It's just you. Kareem was everything like the LeBron life. Kareem played it out first, being the greatest high school player of all time, 
being the greatest college player of all time, and then doing living up to the billing and coming straight from college, taking Milwaukee to the finals and to a championship right. in three years. He got right. Milwaukee a championship in yeah, three man, years. Just, Kareem is just – I can say I, I encourage cats to do as much reading as you can. There's so many books out there to read and learn about the NBA. You don't have to just come on and just tweet just because what are you reading out there for you? Just start. Yeah, the game <laughs> right. didn't start 10 years ago. It's it's a beautiful history to the bat the game of basketball. And the only other game that I put up there, like the, for me, the like the one that's most bittersweet for me is when Kareem's last season, the Lakers get swept by the Pistons in the finals. Magic goes down with the torn hamstring. Uh, um, yeah. uh, uh, they had already lost B. Scott to a hamstring injury. It was just worthy at Kareem out there. And Kareem in game four of that series goes off. And he, I mean, like, he, he, he tried to drag the Lakers to a game five. He's 42 years old, and it was his last game. And it just, like, those kind of moments, like Kobe getting 60 in his last game, you know, just those moments where – you watch an athlete put everything out there, knowing it's the end. Yeah, I, I'm not. There is no tomorrow. I got nothing left to give, so I'm gonna give it all tonight. Those are things that stick with you, and and those special. are the great ones. Do that. Special, special, special. Whew. Yeah, I love talking ball. We're gonna have to do this again. Oh man, not I just about the bells, great. but I can talk ball anytime, any place. So, um, a fantastic first uh, visit to the show. Please tell the folks how they can follow you, how they can check out your team. Yeah, man, we uh, obviously just uh, Contra Costa College men's basketball. You can search it on the uh, on Twitter or Facebook. Um, we're kind of down now, obviously, because of the coronavirus situation. But when the season starts, there will be updates there. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, JJ Maples 55 underscore MST. Um, I like talking basketball, man. If you if you tell me something, I, I don't mind going back and forth for a minute. I love it. So please follow me. I'll follow back and let's uh, let's talk some hoop. Man, I really appreciate you coming on. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. I love them. Like I said, I subscribe. Like I said, since since I you know become a Pelican Pelican supporter with my boy Bi and Lonzo coming over here, I mess with the bird rice tough man. You, Ale, Chris, a lot of you guys, man. I'm gonna rock with y'all a long way. I love what y'all do, and I'm gonna keep uh, I'm gonna keep uh, staying on y'all line. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, and we'll uh, we'll definitely be in communication tonight as the Pelicans take on those paces. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so uh, for Jason Maples, I am David Grubb. Y'all know how to follow me at DM Grubb on Twitter, Instagram. Also check me out on thebirdrights.com. I do have a preview of tonight's game up. And we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Hard in the Paint. Until then, y'all be cool.